Bibles today, turn over to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18 today. We're going to look at one verse. I'll go ahead and give a little bit of background uh, in its context, but then we're going to go ahead and uh, just try to make a very quick application today. We knew with the video and things like that we'd be running a little short on time. Certainly want to uh, move along in uh, swift fashion here. Genesis chapter 18, beginning in verse 14, we'll read that verse. It's good to see each and every one of you out. Glad to have you today. Genesis chapter 18, verse 14. The Bible says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? That the time appointed I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's a great question, isn't it? And let me tell you something. I don't know about you, but I've had times in my life asked that question. There have been times in my life, I have to admit, I, I didn't have that answer for sure. I couldn't just jump right in there and with a resounding no say, that's it. No, there's nothing too hard. No, there were times in my life I even started questioning. There was a time in my life where I even questioned whether there was a God or not. You say, well, you're looking at me like I'm crazy or something. You've never thought those things? You've never wondered if there's really a God in heaven? You never wondered if there is indeed that God in heaven? Does He really care for you? Is He really sincerely concerned about you and your problems? Well, I've thought those things. I truly have. In our passage, we are introduced, of course, to a woman by the name of Sarah. Many of you remember her. She was the wife of Abraham. And of course we know that Abraham and Sarah were trying to have a child. They had strived. They had worked at it. They had done their best, but their best wasn't good enough. As a matter of fact, Sarah even suggests that Hagar, her servant, uh, be given to her husband, Abraham, as a wife. And so he does, and he ultimately has a relationship with her, and she bears a child. But that wasn't God's perfect plan, nor was that His will. And we know that God had intended that Sarah would have a child of her own. That He would be the seed that would ultimately provide for the world a Savior. She was only 90. But then again, she had the promise of God. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 19, it says, And God said, Sarah... Thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. It wasn't too far along uh, in chapter 21 that the promise was fulfilled. In chapter 21, verse 2, it says, For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. See, God is in the business of the impossible today. And we're prone to forget that truth at times. Sometimes we neglect it by forging ahead on our very own. Instead of permitting God to show up and show off, we immediately plan and prepare a, a strategy to handle our situation, don't we? We, in essence, take the reins and we determine our own direction and our own destination I want you to know that 
The answer to our question today is a resounding no. There is nothing too hard for the Lord. Nothing. Nothing in this universe, this world, or even in your life is too hard for God to handle. Today I want to just take a few moments and consider why nothing is too hard for Him. Or at least show us that we can depend on Him, recognizing that there is nothing too hard for the Lord. So before I do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, it's our great privilege to gather here. Again, Lord, I can't thank you enough for the health and the ability that you've given me to stand behind this pulpit. But, Lord, the honest truth is I have nothing to give your people except you give it to me first. Holy Spirit of God, fill me even now. Lord, there are lives that, Father, weigh in the balance. There are homes that, Father, weigh in the balance. Dear God of heaven, we as a people need the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit. And I especially today request your filling. Now, Father, anoint my lips and let me be your mouthpiece. Stand in my shoes that, Father, these that listen will hear from heaven alone. For, Father, they need not hear from a mere man, but they need to hear from you, the Master. Father, may you anoint every listening ear that they may hear the words of the Holy Spirit and the words of the Lord from the Word of the God. And Father, may it truly pierce their hearts and prick their hearts and bring conviction and change as necessary and needed. Father, we do not wish to waste your time, nor do I want to waste mine or theirs. So, God, you must show up. And, Lord, you are a big God, so we expect big things. Well, thank you now, Father, as you meet our need and as you prepare our hearts and as you change our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Is anything too hard for the Lord? We said, no, nothing is too hard for the Lord. We serve a mighty God today. That's all there is to it. He is the God of creation. Do you know that the earth is approximately 8,000 miles in diameter and 25,000 miles in circumference? The sun is one million times larger than the earth. The bright red star, Beltegese, is one million times larger than the sun. It's an amazing thought. You know, the moon is 37,000 miles from earth. The sun is 93 million miles from earth. I don't know if you remember your science classes or not, but... Light travels at the speed of 186,000 miles per second. That's fast. I mean, you turn a light on, and the moment that light flicks on, it's traveling at 186,000 miles per second. I haven't quite got there running, but I'm working on it. I'm not quite that quick yet. Even Flash Gordon hasn't mastered that one. It takes about eight minutes for light, the light of the sun, to reach the earth, I should say. Eight minutes. It's so far away. It takes eight minutes, traveling at 186,000 miles per second, to reach the earth. It would take 40 years for light to travel from the North Star to the earth. So if you see a little glimmer of light from the North Star, that was 40 years ago. Isn't that something? Some known stars are more than 10,000 light years away. That's an amazing statistic. 
I don't know how they figure that. I mean, 10,000 light years. I mean, how do you see that? Even with the largest of telescopes, even the ones that are out there in outer space. But nonetheless, they claim there are stars that are more than 10,000 light years away. The distance between the earth and the sun is 93 million miles, as we mentioned already. And yet there are many stars that could not pass between the earth and the sun without taking out both. They're that large. Can you imagine stars that large? That's an amazing thing. The sun is a round mass of gases that's 80, 865,000 miles in diameter. The Earth's only 8,000 miles in diameter. Antares, a star, is 390 million miles in diameter. 390 million miles in diameter. Some are estimated into the billions of miles. You say, what's a billion? How do you describe a billion? Well, let's see. Um, counting at the rate of 100 every minute, night and day... It would take 19 years to count to a billion. So if you started 19 years ago and you counted 100, uh, up to 100, every single minute of your life, night and day, 24 hours a day, you would just be finishing up or reaching 1 billion. If you took a stack of $1,000 bills, you'd have to stack them 700 feet high to equal 1 billion. Isn't that amazing? The earth has three motions. It spins on its axis at a speed of 16 miles per minute. It rushes northward at a speed of approximately 1,000 miles a minute, making a circular journey of 584 million miles in 365 days or one year. You know, there are those that would have us believe that all of this is just the result of an evolutionary process. It just happened. Randomly happened. Right. Yeah, that's how it happened. I mean, you really believe that? You know, we have scientific evidence and we have proof of all of this. We do. The last time I checked, Dr. Leakey although he's passed on the scene, is still looking for the missing link. Oh, there's still a gap somewhere. We still don't know how apes became man because there's still something missing there to scientifically prove it. Listen, it is a theory still whether they tell you it's fact or not. I just can't understand when I look at God's creation and I see everything that God has done, I can't help but say to myself, there must be an intelligent designer. There must be somebody bigger than me or bigger than the minds of this earth. There's got to be a God in heaven. Not only did He do His mighty work in creation, though, He continued it on earth, didn't He? God had promised Canaan land to His people. You know how they had been delivered out of Egypt and they made their way through the wilderness and because of their rebellion and disobedience, they spent 40 years paying the price. 
A whole generation passed by the scene, and now we have a new generation, 40 years later, prepared to enter into the promised land. Of course, under the direction and leadership of Joshua, they make their way into that land. And God begins to give them great victories. And God began to reveal Himself in a very mighty way to the people. In Joshua chapter 10, take your Bible if you would please turn over there. and Let's take a look at how God did that in one particular instance. Is anything too hard for the Lord? We're talking about a God who created the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth. Everything that you touch and feel, He is the creator of it. Because without Him there would be no matter at all. A scientist can create much. You say to yourself, what about cloning? We are on the verge of cloning people. But we're not creating them like God did. God took nothing and made something. Science cannot do that. Science cannot bring or create matter from nothingness. But God did. In Joshua chapter 10, verse 9, notice what transpires and takes place as the people of God are fighting for their land, seeking to enter the land and occupy the land. There had to be battles fought, and here we see an instance of one. Joshua chapter 10, beginning in verse 9, the Bible says, Joshua therefore came unto them suddenly and went up from Gilgal all night. And the Lord discomfited them before Israel and slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon. Chased them along the way that goeth up to Beth Haran, and smote them to Azekah, and unto Mecca. And it came to pass, as they fled from before Israel, and were in the going down to Beth Haran, that the Lord cast down great stones from heaven upon them unto Azekah, and they died. They were more which died with hailstones than they whom the children of Israel slew with the sword. Isn't that amazing. You say, the enemies are so large, it's so great. And in those days, maybe some of the people of Israel even got to wondering whether or not they had sufficient means by which to take the enemy. But when it was all said and done, God supernaturally intervened. God stepped in and took over. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No, nothing's too hard for the Lord. These great hailstones fell from the sky and literally took out the armies. More were dead, more died in battle from the hailstones than the very swords that the men of war carried. We'll see this again in the book of Revelation one day as we enter into the tribulation and God again will dump hailstones of the weight of 120 pounds apiece onto the earth. It's recorded there. They're a talent in size. People, rain, uh, guess, uh, people estimate those to be uh, between 100 and 120 pounds for a talent. Can you imagine a hailstone that large? Nonetheless, we see in, our, in the past that God has used hail before to destroy the enemy, and He'll do it again. Also, it continue, we continue reading there, and we see something else supernatural here. Verse 12, Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still. 
And the moon stayed till the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jazer? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and hasted not to go down about a whole day. There was no day like that before it or after it that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. The sun stood still. You say, now that's ridiculous. That's impossible. Oh, wait a second. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen, preacher. We're so grateful for the grace of God. We're so glad that anyone that that demonstrates faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is saved by grace through faith alone. We're so happy for that promise in the Word of God. Thank God for the Word of God. It's so true. It's always right. And we have God and His Word to stand on. Then the sun stood still. You can't pick and choose what you're going to believe out of this book. It's either true or it's not. It's either God's Word or it isn't. It's either perfect or it's not. Well, I just don't know about that. I kind of choose which part of it I believe and which part I don't. Well, you're on very shaky ground, ma'am, sir. Because last time I checked, this book is His Word. Let God be true, but every man a liar, the Bible says. He says, My Word is truth. Sanctify them by Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. We have it right here. I'm going to tell you something. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No, nothing is too hard for the Lord. Whether it was hailstones or whether it was holding up the sun in the sky so that they had extra time to fight the enemy and become victorious, God fought the enemy and God gave the victory. And God can do it today. Because He's the same God. What about that Assyrian army? I like reading about them. Jerusalem was being threatened by them. Threatened by them and their king. They were guaranteeing a slaughter if the people of God wouldn't surrender. 185,000 Assyrians gathered together for war. It seemed hopeless. It seemed as if there was nothing left to do but hold up the white flag. But even though it appeared that Jerusalem and the people were sitting ducks, that their goose was cooked, God had other plans. God had other plans. Take your Bible, look over the book of Isaiah, chapter 37. Isaiah, chapter 37. We serve a mighty God, the creator of all the universe, and a God that not only utilized His power to create, but utilizes His power to continue working in the lives of His people. Over here in the book of Isaiah, chapter 37, verse 33, notice what it says. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria. He shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shields, nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and shall not come into this city, saith the Lord. Oh, wait a second. I I hear what you're saying, God, and I understand what you mean, but the problem is is that there's 185,000 troops gathered outside the walls of our city. They have every means of war. They're trained. They're prepared. They're supplied. Lord, how in the world can you tell me they're never going to once set foot in our city? They're never once going to put an embankment against our walls. They're never once going to siege this city. 
They're going to literally return the way they came? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But we don't have an army to defend. We don't have men of war that can go and compete with that many soldiers. There's no way that we can hold out. We don't have the supplies necessary. All they got to do is starve us out and we're done. We're dead meat. Saith the Lord. The Lord said it. For I, verse 35, will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. Then the angel of the Lord went forth and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and fourscore and five thousand. God took them out. A hundred and eighty five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. Any doubt whether they were dead? Corpses. The Bible's pretty clear. Hey, God did the job and He did it right. And I'm going to tell you something. There was no threat any longer. God had done a miracle. And God had done the impossible again. I don't know what you find impossible in your life. I don't know what it is that seems to frustrate you and overwhelm you at times. But may I say today, we serve a God who does the impossible. I like this story too. It's kind of a self-portrait. Take your Bible, if you would. Turn over to Judges 15. The Philistines had surrounded the city of Lehi. In order to bind Samson, I told you it was a sort of a self-portrait. And then sought to kill him. Some of you haven't got it yet. You're still so focused on your finding the passage that you haven't recognized the likeness between Samson and myself. Again, the Philistines, uh, chapter 15 of Judges, the Philistines had surrounded the city of Lehi. Again, in order to bind Samson and kill him. He'd been a real thorn in their flesh. And the men of Judah were so afraid of the Philistines because they were under military occupation at the time. They were so afraid that the Philistines would destroy them that they found Samson and they told him that they have to come and bind him themselves. We're coming. We're going to bind you ourselves and we're going to deliver you over to the Philistines. Samson says, that's fine. I'll agree to permit you. I will allow you to bind me. You can use new ropes. You can use whatever you choose. I just want your promise that you're not going to fall upon me or that you're going to kill me in the midst of it all. they, They agreed, and so therefore he was bound and he was delivered over to the Philistines. Now remember, there's a whole army assembled before Samson. But then again... He has the Lord. In Judges 15, beginning in verse 13, And they spake unto him, saying, But No, but we will bind thee fast and deliver thee into their hand, but surely we will not kill thee. And they bound him with two new cords and brought him up from the rock. And when he came unto Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the cords that were upon his arms began became as flax that was burnt with fire, and his bands loosed from off his hands. And he found a new jawbone of an ass, and put forth his hand, and took it, and slew a thousand men therewith. 
you imagine? I mean, my tops is like 20 or 30. Maybe a few less. I, I, I can't. I know it's under a thousand. I mean, Samson finds this jawbone and he begins to use it as a weapon and slicing and dicing and ripping and tearing until 1,000 Philistines fall to their demise. I mean, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Hold on. But preacher, you don't understand my situation. You don't realize how difficult my finances are and how tight things are. And you don't realize how, how, how frustrating my marriage has become and how rebellious my children are. And you just can't understand what I'm facing and dealing with at work. Oh, preacher, if you only knew, then you would understand. Is anything too hard for the Lord? But I got horrible news last week from the doctor, preacher. And just last week, I lost a family member or friend, and my heart's broken today. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, I believe the Bible. I'm just telling you that. Do we believe the Bible? I mean, we look at these supernatural events that took place there and we say to ourselves things like, wow, I wish I could see that today. I wish I could really see God create or do something out of nothingness. I, I wish I could have been there when he, he called out the stars into the heavens and spoke the world into existence. I, I wish I could have been there when He held up the sun and He brought down those, well, not brought down those, uh, those big old uh, ice balls. I think I'd better be home somewhere in a cave. But I, I'd like to have seen all that. Can I tell you something? There's something God does in lives. And from what I understand, it took place yesterday. This is far greater than anything He's ever done. Recorded in that book. Saving of a soul. Do you realize that He creates something out of nothingness? Do you realize the Bible says that we were in darkness... Until Jesus found us? You realize that we were in the muck and the mire of this world, bound by our sin and enslaved by Satan, the ruler of this world? You say, oh no, Satan's not the ruler of this world. Oh yes, he is according to the Bible. In 2 Corinthians, let's turn there just so that we are assured of that fact because we don't want anybody to think the preacher's telling a fib. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4. Again, let God be true, but every man a liar. Notice what it says here. Let's start in verse 3. See, when Adam and Eve sinned, they handed over the deed. Every man and every woman, every boy and every girl is born into sin and will die in their sin, except they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. There's no substitute for Christ. Just a faith in God is not enough. You have to believe in Jesus Christ who died, was buried, and rose again. You can't say, well, it just doesn't matter as long as it is a God. I mean, there's many roads that lead to Rome and there's many roads that lead to heaven. Not according to the Bible. But there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Notice what he says here about the God of this world. Verse 3, But if our gospel be hid... It is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God, notice it's a little g, of this world 
hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Satan literally blinds the minds of people. From their birth, from all of our births, we are already by nature sinners. And Satan has put a veil over our eyes. The God of heaven sent His Son, Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago with a purpose. And that purpose was to save souls. He hung on that cross and shed His blood. He died, was buried, and rose again the third day with a purpose. Not simply to say, well, I'll show you an example of godly or good living. I'll be a good example and testimony of how everyone on earth ought to live and how they ought to act. Yes, indeed, we ought to fulfill the example of Christ. We ought to try to walk in His steps. But man, let me tell you something today. If you haven't trusted and received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are as lost today as you were the day you were born. You're as in deep darkness as you ever were. You need Christ today to deliver you and supernaturally do a, a, a cleansing work in your life to be saved. And I'll tell you what, there's a world out there that's dying and going to hell. And God help us to recognize the fact that we've been blessed today when we trusted Christ. And that although we may be saved, others aren't. And they need Him today. And without Him, they will perish. You talk about a a work of creation. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. My good can't outweigh my bad. I can never do enough to merit the favor of God in my life. I can only trust in His grace and His mercy and follow His plan, accepting His Son, Jesus Christ. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He that believeth on the Son hath life. He that believeth not the Son of God hath not life. We're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.26 No faith in Christ, no salvation, no children of God. And talk about a God that does great miracles. Is anything too hard for the Lord? You say, well, i got a family member. i got a friend. If you would meet them, you'd know they're hard as nails. They couldn't be one. I don't care what you did for them. I sat in the room of a family member probably 15 years ago. 15 years ago. As I began to share the gospel with them, they said, we're not sinners. Oh, good people. Don't misunderstand me. Very good people. Went to church regularly. But they did not see that they were sinners in need of a Savior, Jesus Christ. They thought Jesus died for the world, therefore everybody's under the umbrella of His protection. That somehow because He loves us, He would never punish us. Can I tell you something? After 15 years, I found out that they and the whole family have trusted Christ now and they're saved. 15 years. I sat in another family member's house and I sat there. I drove by and the Lord impressed upon me to go by and visit and talk to them about Jesus Christ because I was so concerned for their future and well-being. 
I sat at the table, began to talk to them, and I said, I'd like to ask you a question. I started talking to him about salvation, and he stopped me and said, you'll not talk to me about those things in this house. You're welcome to be here. I'll be more than happy. We can sit and talk about anything you want, but I will not discuss that in my home. You want to talk about that? Get out. It wasn't six months ago he came to Christ. Thank God for a testimony of a faithful wife. Listen to me. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. Is this thing, I mean, do we go to church and we're playing a game here? Is heaven real? Is hell real? Is the Bible really God's Word? Because if it is, then we ought to embrace it. We ought to be serious about learning it and understanding it and living it. There are people without Him that need Him. The earth, the moon, the stars, His handiwork, the many miracles, the supernatural feats recorded in the Bible, they were performed by the hand of God. There's no one, there's no other force in this universe that compares to that of our Creator God today. Nobody. And the same God who created all matter, ordered it perfectly, and placed it in the heavenlies above is the same God that sits on the throne on high today. Is the same God that blesses His people with His indwelling presence and supernatural power now. Right. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Jesus said, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. What do you mean? How can we do greater works than the Lord? That seems almost impossible, doesn't it? Well, here's the answer. A few verses later, in verse 16 and 17 of that same chapter, he says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. How do, you, how do I know? I know Him? Yeah. Yeah. He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Some of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. You know, the very power that we need to do supernatural things on behalf of God. And I'm not talking about running around necessarily healing people and, you know, doing all the stuff that some of the stuff you see on TV. That's not all the stuff I'm talking about. I'm talking about supernatural things like leading a family member or friend to Jesus Christ that's steeped in sin. I'm talking about something supernatural like restoring a relationship between a a teenager that's hardened and cold and a parent that loves them. I'm talking about restoring a marriage that seems to be, from all common sense, over with, done, finished. I'm talking about a Christ who can overcome and give victory even when it seems that the impossible is all we have to look forward to. I'm going to tell you, we serve a God of the impossibles. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. Nothing. And by the way, I'm not in the least bit concerned about that building up there. There's nothing too hard for him. I wonder today if you died. I mean, right now. Are you 100% sure where you'd spend eternity? Could you say emphatically, without doubt, that it was heaven? You know, it's interesting, over in the book of 1 John, chapter 5, the Bible says this. It says, I'm going to read it because I don't want to mess it up. Hmm. 
These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. That ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. He says, I write some things for you. Last time I checked, they're in a book called the Bible. That ye may know that ye have eternal life. You can know. Lord willing, I'll leave here today and I'll go home for a bite of lunch. I know where I'm going to go. Tonight, when I lay my head on the pillow, I know, at least as long as nothing happens tragically or horribly, I know where I'll lay my head on the pillow. Before I even get to the house, I've got to have a vehicle to transport me, and I know exactly which one is mine. So I know the car I'll drive. I know the house that I'll go to. I know the bed I'll sleep in. Doesn't it seem a little bit strange? Wouldn't it seem strange to you if God said you can know all those things, but you will never know for sure whether or not when you die you'll be with me? You just got to hope that you lived a good enough life. I'm glad that God is the God of the impossible. He does what the world says can't be done. And there's nothing good about Mark O'Donnell today. Nothing at all good. But I promise you there's nothing bad about him. And his goodness, his favor, his love and grace is on my life. Because I took the time at one point to recognize I was a sinner needing Christ. And I invited him into my life as Savior. Trusted him. Received him. And accepted him. He washed my sin away. He made me part of the family of God. He gave me an eternal inheritance and a home in heaven. All because of His finished work on Calvary. Today, Christ will do the same for you. What is it in your life today, believer? You're saved today. You know for sure heaven's your home. What is that obstacle? What is it that steals your joy? that renders you helpless. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Will you just give that to Christ today? Will you make a conscious decision to say, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know you can, and I know you will. I'm going to trust you today. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Maybe in our minds, but not in His Word and not in His heaven. And not on earth as long as He exists. Last I checked, He's an eternal God. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God of creation, the God that did miracles in the Old Testament and the New, is the same God that is available to you and I today. May we let God be real.